We are in the kind of the middle of a series right now um, called Soul Work, where we're looking at how do we care for the most important part of ourselves, the soul. And uh, as I look out, there's a lot of parents here today. And so there's probably a lot of us parents that are doing the same thing that many of us don't know that we're all doing together. And that is collectively hoping and wishing that school starts sooner than what it actually does. (laughs) Maybe it's just me, um, and I don't even have, like, a teenager. My kid is only four and three right now, well, and then 11 months, but she's not going anywhere. Um, but those two, whoo, man, um, I think we're ready for trigonometry, <laughs> studying hard, right? And there's, I think for a lot of us that, uh, there even is some college students in here that uh, probably are also in the in the process right now, maybe of even completing a class, trying to bust out that last college class and trying to study as hard as they can. And many of us probably can remember those days. Remember the days in high school or even college where night after night, hour after hour, we were slaving over the books and studying. That would be my wife. Others of us can remember the days where we should have been Slaving over the books, hours after hours, studying. But instead, we are enjoying half-off apps at Applebee's, because that's all I could afford, right? See, this idea of studying is one that when when I say that word, we have a preconceived idea of what that is. Boring, frustrating, depressing. Those are words that come to my mind. But what if, what if it didn't have to be that way? If I've learned anything over this past few weeks in preparation for today, as we talk about the, the discipline of studying, this is what I have learned is that studying the word of God never returns void. There's never a moment where studying his word, his instruction, his will will ever return void. Our goal in these disciplines, as we've been journeying, and we will be continuing journeying, is is to continue to grow in him and continue to model and live our lives as he lives and as he has lived. And it's not this quid pro quo type of thing where we do this and then we get God. It's not that at all. But rather, 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 these disciplines are avenues or opportunities for us to experience, to see, to know, and to grow in him more and more. It's not something that we do to get God. We already have God accessible. Rather, it's opportunities for us to grow deeper and deeper with him. And they give us more chances to access him and to dive and wrestle with things with him than we have before. And so I think if we truly want to grow and know him, then we have to take our faith walk seriously. We can't just be lackadaisical. We can't just sometimes do it when it's convenient and sometimes not do it. And and so when I talk about this discipline of study, I want to just make it very easy for us. Sound good? Okay. I'm a hollow back type of guy. You all know what that means? I'm not like Gwen Stefani hollow back. But what I am like is if there's something really good or a question, just give me a mm mm-hmm, amen, a little clap, whatever it might be. All right? So, come on. So, what if this discipline is easy and it's four steps? Four steps. 
Okay? Number one, what if study involves repetition? Repetition. It's a regularly channeling your mind in one direction. Uh, many of us probably don't even understand that we do this on the daily. For example, there's many catchy tunes or there's many catchy phrases. It's my money and I... Come on, right? Or 1-800-STEAMER. Stanley Steamer makes... We get it, right? Greg gets it. My man Greg, he gets it. Greg, you deserve the award for having coffee today. Uh, uh, I had some coffee. Come on. So we understand that there are regular rhythms or regular things that are repeated in our lives that have been ingrained in our minds whether we want them to or not because they've been repeated over and over and over and over and over again. One that I hope my two boys will start to understand is if you go outside, shut the door behind you. <laughs> the amount of flies I have killed in the past week. And then the amount of flies that my four-year-old holds in his hand and say, God, Dad, these are God's creatures. And I'm like, I know, but they bug me a little bit. I hope he understands, right? The repetition. Close the door, bro. Um, and then the next one. So repetition, repetition, concentration, concentration. When we repeat what is being studied, then we can concentrate on it. We focus on it. Scripture and studying, it emphasizes concentration. Our world, though, emphasizes distraction. Scripture and studying of Scripture emphasizes concentration. Our world emphasizes distraction. If I can throw as many things at you as I can, I can distract you from what I'm actually doing behind the scenes. Social media apps are really good at distracting us from doing what we actually have to do, right? Scripture and studying emphasize concentration. Our world emphasizes distraction. We have to be aware of that. After we repeat and concentrate, then we seek to find comprehension, to comprehend what is being taught. It's not just truth, but knowledge and seeking to understand it. And hear me on this. We may not fully understand all that is in Scripture. That's, that's where the work of the Holy Spirit also comes in. He works alongside of us to teach us, to grow us, to, to model this with us. There's great resources, there's commentaries, there's additional Bible study resources that we can go through and alongside of the word of God to help us understand uh, at a greater depth. A study Bible is a great resource to do this with. It's not just about knowing about God, but it's about knowing God intimately and personally. And then the last one, reflection. Reflection. What is, what is what I'm studying? Why is that important for me? We have to reflect on that. Why is this important for me? Like, how do I apply this to my life? Where do I see this being played out? Again, this is where some of those resources and the comprehension play into it. It helps us understand at a, at a personal level, at a cultural level, some of the things going on and how we can apply it. See, so it's, it's repetition, concentration, comprehension, comprehending it, reflecting upon it. And I think Jesus spoke about this. Jesus spoke about the need and the desire 
to study the word of God. He did it himself, by the way. It's not like a secret that Jesus is, is showing and telling people to do these things. And then he's like, yeah, but I'm not going to do it. He did it. He actively did it. And this is what he said in John chapter 8. If you were to flip open your Bible with me, we're going to be in verses 31 and 32. Um, this is what it says, 31. So Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you remain faithful to my teachings. Another translation puts it this way. If you abide in my teachings. If you flip forward just a few other chapters in John 15, one of my favorite, favorite scriptures, you will see that this whole chapter starts out that I am the true vine and my father is the, the gardener. And Jesus literally talks about abide in me and I will abide in you. The same Greek word is being used here. To abide, to dwell, to sit with and sit in. So Jesus is saying in, in John 8 that you are truly my disciples if you abide, if you remain in my teachings. How do you remain in his teachings? Well, you study them. You try to decipher them. The reality is that we cannot have an abiding life in Christ if we are not abiding in his word. If we are not seeking to grow deeper and deeper and deeper with him through the studying of his word, we can never have the abiding life that he calls us to in John 15. We can never have it. We have to be in his word. We have to be learning and studying his word. Why? Because studying the word of God never returns void. It will never return void. See, these words that are flowing from Christ, they're words that are of deep importance here. Because he ends it in that verse 32. He says, he says again, go on and read it. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 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 The goal of studying scripture and abiding in Christ is freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from bondage, freedom from brokenness and pain and agony. It is freedom from idolatry. It is freedom in him and him alone. Amen? Come on, somebody. And they are coming from him, and it's through studying his word and being in it actively that we experience freedom. We can talk a lot about freedom. We can try to even earn freedom, but the only way to experience true freedom in all forms of life is abiding in this, his word. And, and hear me on this. This is not an academic pursuit. It is not an academic pursuit. It isn't through this discipline that we achieve his love. If it was an academic pursuit, I would be a long goner. Okay? It's not an academic pursuit, but rather, rather, it's a deep desire to seek him. It's a deep desire to know him intimately and personally. The discipline of study is the primary vehicle to bring us to a place where we do these things, where we think about these things, to bring us to the, to bring these thoughts and the reality to our front of our minds and let them be reflected on and then move us in his will. Richard Foster, who um, we've been kind of, I've been using his book, uh, Celebration of Discipline, to, to really kind of help 
guide some of these series uh, messages. And this is how he puts it, especially reflecting upon verse 32. He says that when Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's very clear about this. Jesus is very clear about this. And, and Foster points it out that it is not good feelings that will set you free. It is not ecstatic experiences that will set you free. It's not a Jesus high that will set you free. Knowledge of the truth and knowing the truth intimately and authentically is the only way that will set you free. So what is the truth? Because that's a question our world asks a lot of times, right? So what is the truth? Wasn't it Jesus that said that I am the way, the truth? We have the answer right there. I am the way, the truth. If we want freedom, we have to seek the truth, and the truth is Jesus Christ alone. And he says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Abide in my teachings, and I will abide in you. Can I ask, what is the freedom that you are seeking today? What is the freedom that you are seeking today? What is the truth you need to hear today? We open this series talking about meditation, and not the meditation of sitting on a mat with candles all over, crisscross with your hands and humming. That's, that's not the meditation we talked about. We talked about meditation and meditating on the word of God. And I know maybe for some of us who were here that first week, you're asking yourself, well, isn't meditation and study the same thing? They sound awfully alike. You're, you're talking about the word of God. You're, you're sitting with the word of God. You're reflecting on the word of God. Aren't they the same thing? No. They're not. See, study and meditation are not the same. They work together, but they are not the same. When we meditate on scripture, it's a devotional time. It's a time where we are just sitting in the presence and we are devotional and and we're almost in this conversation type of mode or devotion with God. But study, study is, is much more analytical. You're looking at a lot more of the context, the historical context, the cultural context, the Greek and the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Latin words. You're looking at it from a different lens, a different perspective. It's not a devotional time. This is more of the analytical. You're trying to rip it apart. What's really happening here? Why is this really happening? What does that word or that sentence really mean to the people back then? And and as part of that, they, they function with each other, but they're separate. Study leads us to understand, what does this mean for me? Or sorry, study leads us to understanding, what does this mean, period? What does it mean? What did it mean when Paul said these words? What did it mean when Jesus spoke these words? What did it mean when Jesus drew a line in the sand and then he said this? What did it mean? But meditation on those same scriptures is asking the question, so what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me when Paul said those words? When Jesus said those words? What does it mean for me when Jesus drew the line in the sand and then spoke those words in that story? They function together, but they are not the same thing. See, when we remember and know that studying his word never returns void, we truly walk in his will and his blessings. We experience freedom, true freedom in life. And it's his promise There's recently a study that came out, um, and they surveyed 40,000 people 
about how often they read the word of God and what happens. As part of it, they asked them to, you know, how often do you read the word? And then, hey, what if you read the word this many times a week? Sound good? So basically, they're like, how many of us read the word one time, uh, one time a week? And um, what they found is those who read the word one time a week, your life gets slightly better. <laughs> if you read the word of God two times a week, what do you think happened? Actually, no change from one time a week. What about three times a week? It's a small blip, but not much actual difference between one and two times a week. What about four times a week? It's interesting. Four times a week, though, radical shift happens. A radical shift in your life happens four times a week. If you're reading and abiding in the Word of God four times or more a week, they discover that the feeling and the sense of loneliness dropped 30%. Bitterness in your relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 50%. Spiritual stagnant and feeling spiritual stagnant and distant from God, it dropped 60%. Porn use dropped 61%. If you're in the word of God four times or more a week, sharing of your faith increases 200%. Hold up, it gets better. Discipling others, sitting with others, being in the word of God with others, doing life shoulder to shoulder with each other four times a week or more increase 231%. Do we understand the implications when we take studying the word of God seriously in our lives? We want to see change. It's it's right here. We want to see families change from alcoholic parents. It's right here. We want to see people kicking the, the porn addiction to the side. It's right here. We want to see more people coming to know Jesus until they are zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. It is right here, church. It is right here. And here's the other good news. It has always been right here. This isn't a new thing. This isn't the new self-help book. It is the living, breathing, eternal word of God. And it has always been, by the way, the living, breathing, eternal word of God. And studying the word of God will never, ever return void. The proof is in the pudding. It's right there. And what we study determines the habits we form. Our world has done a lot of studying recently of social media and Main Street media and and newspapers and everything else, but we have done not a lot of studying of this. What we study determines the habits we form. That's why Paul urges us to focus on things that are true, that are honorable, that are right, that are just, pure, lovely, and gracious. The habits that we form our keys to help us grow in life. Is this a habit that we are forming, studying the word of God? Or is it one that we're saying, it's not convenient for me right now. I don't have time for that. You want me to look at Greek? Are you crazy? You want me to do... What habits are we willing to form today that will impact generations to come? 
Because the Israelites in the Old Testament were told to and instructed to write their laws on the gates in their doorposts, to, to bind them to their wrists and their foreheads even. And then in the New Testament, things changes from being written on the doorpost and the, the, the gates to written on your heart because there was this radical Savior named Jesus who came. And when he did the, the law in his words, his law was written on our heart and it always will lead us back to him because Jesus is our inward teacher. He's continually with us. And there's a lot of like debate of like, there's many churches who won't teach much in the Old Testament. Ah, that was just for them. We don't really care. But do we understand that there's a connectedness between this whole entire book? Genesis to Revelation declares the living, breathing Savior, Jesus Christ. There's this uh, diagram. I, I think it, boom. So in this diagram, you see, these are all the different chapters of the book of the Bible. And you see the really big line that goes right down, kind of in the middle, but not really, right? That's the divide between OT and New T. These are the connectedness. These are the verses that connect Old Testament to New Testament. In Genesis 3, we, we see the first prophecy of Jesus Christ that is fulfilled when he comes to the Virgin Mary. But in Genesis 1, we also know that there is a living, breathing Holy Spirit that floats over the void of the earth. That is the same living spirit that is living inside of us today. The, the same victorious God in Genesis is the same victorious God in Revelation. Do we understand that this book is connected and it's a beautiful story and we are woven right into it? The prophecies of Jesus, this is the next one. Prophecies of Jesus all the way from the very beginning all the way to the end of Revelation Jesus is spoken about in Genesis. He's present in the Psalms. He's present in the prophets. He's present in, in the exile. He's present in the Old Testament. And guess what? He's present when Paul is being tortured. He's present in the jail cells. He was present on the cross, certainly, and he'll be present when he rides again on the white horse triumphantly in Revelation. Do we understand that it is connected and we are connected to it? Studying this will never return void. And I love how Martin Luther spoke about studying the word of God. This is what he says. I study my Bible like I gather apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the ripest may fall. Then I shake each limb and then I have shaken, after I've shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole, like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake every limb. I study book after book. But then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapters. And then I'm going to shake every twig or a careful study of the paragraphs and the sentences and the words and their meanings. What if we studied the word of God the same way that we go apple picking in the fall? We want the ripest to fall, but we want to make sure that we get the full, bountiful harvest that is abundant and, and is there for us. See, one of the things I've learned here in studying the word is that study demands humility. Study demands humility. Are we willing to be to approach studying the word of God? Are we willing to approach it and, and come to it 
to be subject to the subject at hand? Do we come as a student or do we come as the teacher? Do we approach with arrogance or do we approach with teachable spirits? How often do we rush to try to apply things to our lives without actually digging into the meat and the nitty-grittiness of this story? May we never forget when we approach this that these words were written to real people in real cities with real problems facing real cultural struggles as well. And their cultural struggles have meaning for us today, absolutely. But let's not forget what they also were walking in because it helps illuminate the text for us so that we can understand it at a greater depth and degree. Studying the word of God helps us to see the bigger picture of the story while applying it to our little chapter in our lives. And the discipline of study is not the discipline of knowing all things. I'm okay with wrestling in my understanding of the scriptures because I'm confident in the one who gave them to us. I don't have to know it all. I'm okay with being confused by hard texts because my security is not in my competence, but rather my security is in the one who is faithful and will be faithful. When we approach the word, seeing to study it rather than only understand it, we truly grow more in depth relationally with him. And as I think back, we're, we're in dis- this is discipline number four. As I think back, I, it's very clear to see Jesus in all of these. See, in meditation, Jesus is our guide, guiding us through the scripture and deeper into his presence. And in prayer, Jesus is our intercessor, leading us through communication with him and into a deeper and deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And as we fast, Jesus is our bread. Yes, our daily bread for here, right now, our manna for the day, but also the bread of life of of eternity. And as we study scripture, Jesus is our teacher, modeling, showing, and teaching us how to live and walk in this life through his presence. Studying the word of God never returns void. And this is one of those disciplines, I'll be the first one to admit that I may even feel guilty of trying to rush. Try to rush. Ah, this Greek word is frustrating to me. Ah, this phrase is really holding me up. I don't like what Paul just said there. So I'm just going to skip that. We try to rush this discipline, but this is not a... This is not a, a discipline that is rushed. Rather, this is, this is a crock-pot cooking discipline. It's a crock-pot cooking discipline. You turn it on, and it's low and slow, baby. But the nutrients and the flavor that comes from it, from partaking in it, from let it, letting it just marinate, and having this discipline marinate in our lives is irresistible. In every moment of our lives, in every situation, studying the word of God will never return void. I know there's there's new faces here, and and for some of us that have been here for a few years, last year I did this thing for the very first time, and as as a part of the collective, um, the the teaching team, we each get a study break. And what that is, is it's it's a couple weeks where 
um, I will not be here. I will not be preaching. I will not be teaching. I'm not even going to be in my office. It's a, it's a few weeks where each year that we take time to study each of us at different times in the summer, where we, we go away and we just do exactly what we're talking about. The first thing that we do is we seek rest because rest is holy and we should get some. Amen. But we also seek his presence. Can I just share with you that for me, I I plan to do my best of leading some leadership books. I want to grow in it as a leader. I want to grow in how to lead not just this church, but people around me in my own family. I'm going to wrestle over and and I want to study the book of James. I want to rip that book apart. I want it to marinate in my life for those weeks that I'm on study break. And in that time, I just want to seek him. I want to seek a fresh anointing, a fresh new wine, a new wineskin that he would just pour into me. That when I can come back, I can just be poured out and be filled back up with his spirit over and over again. I don't take the study break lightly, but, but I've been praying about this study break. I've been seeking his guidance in the study break. I'm asking God for a clear vision for the next season, season and the leg of the journey as our church. God, what are you calling us into? God, where are you calling us out of? And God, where are you calling us to step in the gap? God, how are you calling us to love? How are you calling us to speak? And even at times, God, how are you calling us to sit silently and just be next to someone? Um... This is the moment, I'll just be very honest with you, I don't know, I've wrestled with. Um, I'm going to have Katie come up, and uh, as I seek this guidance, I can't lie like I'm burdened. I am de- I'm deeply burdened this morning. And I'm sure many of us know exactly the news that came out this past weekend. It's not a surprise unless we're living under a rock. Your social media has blown up about it, is my guess. So is mine. There's a decision that the Supreme Court of the United States made. And for many, we celebrate the sanctity of life. We celebrate that that God is victorious in the fact that he loves life from the womb to the tomb. And I believe that. I believe that life is valuable. I believe that life matters. But I also know the hard decision of many young ladies who had to make a decision. And today they may be grieving or mourning or have pain or anger. And I'm not naive to that. I believe Jesus washes both feet. I believe Jesus would kneel and wash the feet of the young lady who chooses life for the baby that she carries. But I believe Jesus would kneel and wash the feet of the lady who decides to have an abortion and would love her the same. My hope and my prayer for the story church, for this church, 
is very simple. I hope that we can be a beacon of hope for this community. That we can be a beacon of light, of God's love to a hurting world. I hope that we can be people who help make abortion unnecessary because the church stepped in. 500,000 kids are sitting in foster care right now. My heart breaks. My heart breaks. I, I hope that we can be the love, care, support, the champions, that we can assist and sacrifice and do whatever we can for females facing that decision today. More than a sign, but rather more, how about, how can I help? What do you need? Tell me your story. Let's start there. Tell me your story. And can I just share my heart on this of, if there's anyone listening or maybe this is past you, maybe you're sitting in this room, I'm not naive to that, that you've made that hard decision. I love you. And my Jesus loves you deeply and passionately. And he always will. He doesn't look down on you for that decision. He says, my child, come to me and let me hold you. That this church will always, and, and I'd say this, we will always be a church that will welcome the hurting, the broken, the messed up, and the tore up from the floor because I am one of them and so are you. That this is a place that whatever you're walking in, you are welcome and needed here to the day our doors close. If you've made that decision as a female, um, you are dearly loved. Your child is dearly loved. And there's nothing that will take that away from you. You are a child. You are a beautiful child and daughter of the one true king. And there's not a single thing this world can take away from you with that. I'm reminded over and over and over again that Jesus sat with people. Jesus sat with people who are hurting, who are confused, who are doubting, and who are searching. And so will we. So will we. So wherever you fall politically on this, can I just say, I don't care. I don't care. Because I know my Jesus. And he would wash the feet of both sides. And he would love the same. And we're going to take the posture of Jesus. And we are going to love recklessly and relentlessly till the day our doors close. Um, we're just, we're just going to go into a song of worship. I don't know how to close today. I, I, that's not how I typed it up. 
Um, but at 7.30 a.m., that's how it happened. That we're going to love recklessly and relentlessly. So I'm, I want to invite us to just a, a posture of prayer today. So here's what I want to ask. <clears throat> Can we take the posture of just receiving his spirit today? And here's the posture. Would you just turn your hands open and face up? And as I pray, I just want to invite you, just personally for you, go to God. You know exactly what you may need. And even if you don't, the good news is he does. And he's going to deliver. Would you just ask? Just ask God to deliver what you need today. And just receive it from him. Father, in this moment, right here, right now, we release control of anything we think we have control over. We release control to you. And we receive your presence. We receive your your voice. We receive your, your love. God, I just ask that you would just open the floodgates. Pour out your spirit. Father, that we would receive you. That we would receive your spirit, that we would receive your word, that we would receive your your blessing, your anointing. God, that you would strip away any of our pride, strip away any of our ideologies, idols in our lives, that you would strip away any of our false identities even. And that you would remind us of who we are and whose we are. So Father, just continue to do what only you can do. Lord, I ask that your spirit would rest upon this church. Not this building, but the people in this church. That we would step in the gap. That we would rejoice with those who are rejoicing But Lord, that we would also walk in humility and mourn with those who are mourning and grieve with those who may be grieving and in pain today, Lord. That we would sit next to them. And that we would just ask, what's your story? And would you give us ears and eyes to see people as you do? Not as what we perceive them as, but as as how you see them, Lord, as beautiful, created wonderful masterpieces that you have made. The Imago Dei, the image of God. Never let us forget, Lord, that you have created each and every one of us in your image. In the womb, you created us. You knit us together, Lord. And as we walk every single day here in this life, Lord, that we are still called to be image bearers. Every single one of us. Regardless of where we come from, regardless of what we look like, that we are image bearers of the one true king. And so, Father, would you remind us of that? Show us how to love the way that you love, Lord. Let's take the posture of kneeling and washing feet like you do. God, we give you all the praise, all the glory. And today, Lord, we just submit to you. With our hands wide open and facing up, Lord, we submit to you. We, we give everything we have to you, Lord, and we receive everything you want to give back. We receive you in all your fullness and glory.
So Lord, pour out. Pour out yourself. Pour out your, your spirit. Pour out your love to a broken, hurting world that is desperately seeking truth. We ask this in your name, the name above all names. Jesus, who died for us so that we can live eternally with you, our Savior. Amen.